<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win best. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Hello listeners and welcome to season 5 of Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie we've all seen and either delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And we are slightly changing up our format this season to bring you shorter, more palatable episodes, along with some exclusive monthly specials for our Patreon members. If you'd like to support the show and access those specials, head on over to patreon.com slash talkmovie to me to become a monthly member. So this week we are having Jake Gyllenhaal and Netflix bring us into season five with the film The Guilty. The Guilty, which screened at Tiffin September and was released on Netflix October 1st, follows Jake's character Joe Baylor exclusively. Joe is a Los Angeles police officer who has been relegated to working as a 911 phone operator as he awaits a hearing for an incident he was involved in while on duty. Joe is separated from his wife, missing his young daughter, and feels his law enforcement talents are wasted on the phone. That is, until he receives a call from a young woman in distress who appears to have been kidnapped. Remade from the Danish film, which it means the guilty, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. I did look it up to try and replicate it, and I couldn't. So, <laughs> um, And directed by Anton Fuqua, the guilty asks the question, will I get sick of staring at Jake Gyllenhaal's face for 90 minutes? And the answer is a resounding no. Same. <laughs> <laughs> So my first impression for this film for me is that the opening scene of this is this gorgeous shot of Los Angeles with the Hollywood Hills behind the city just lit up in flames. Uh, It's entirely saturated in this like really brilliant orange hazy filter. You really like feel the heat and the oppression of those flames of the fires. There's a newscaster voiceover reporting on the fires and that's interspersed with all these other little brief voiceover clips of 911 emergency calls all having to do with the fire. Then it cuts to the title, The Guilty. And you would absolutely be forgiven for assuming that this is a disaster film <laughs> uh, about the city of angels combusting. And so I was like, wait, is this the right movie? Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Sinclair? Well, first impression for me, I saw this movie at TIFF and I was very excited because I was sure that Jake Gyllenhaal was going to be there. Mm. I was pumped. Was he? Well... <laughs> Let me finish. (laughs) Sorry. Oh. I was very close to the stage. I had my camera ready. Then Cameron Bailey came out to introduce the film. And I was like, yes, here it comes. He's going to say, and Jake is here. He ended up saying, Jake Gyllenhaal couldn't be here because he is in a COVID bubble because he's working on another film. And he has to stay in this bubble uh, with the cast and crew of this film. (laughs) So... I was heartbroken, yeah. to say the least. I do love Jake Gyllenhaal so much. Mm-hmm. But that was really my first impression of the film was heartbreak. <laughs> but when it did begin, I thought that this movie begins pretty intensely. There is yeah, the other forest fires, but 
it also introduces you to the character of Joe right away. Mm -hmm. And I just began watching every move Jake Gyllenhaal was making. I was hung on every single word he was saying. And I was Mm. so close to the screen that I couldn't help but just be in it and mesmerized by him right away. Mm -hmm. To be fair, there is, Mm -hmm. in fact, nothing else to look at. Yeah. But (laughs) everything that Joe is doing. Yes. It's just so close. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I was just so excited that we were starting season five and I was watching a movie for season five and that it was a movie star uh-huh. that was in this movie. That was kind of all I thought when I started it was like, oh, my God, a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a movie that I'm excited to see. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was sort of running on that adrenaline for the first little bit of the film. Yeah. Nice. Okay, well, let's get into some of the storytelling, some of the themes of The Guilty. Yeah, so if it's not entirely clear from what we've said already, this follows Jake on the phone as a 911 operator for the entire film, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And you're really only listening to him talk to other people and looking at him. And that immediately reminded me of the 2013 movie Locke, which starred Tom Mm -hmm. Hardy. Very similar style, format, storytelling devices. Or Phone Booth with Colin Farrell, which I talked about right, during yeah. his In Focus. Or even Buried. Like anything where there's mm. a oh, one-man yeah, show. Right. I didn't know I saw that one. Right. Yeah. yeah, so that was, I sort of immediately started thinking about Locke and kind of comparing the two films, even though I haven't seen that one in a while. But that is what we're working with here, with The Guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so basically you are, you're, you're getting one account of the story, essentially, and you better hope that that one person is really good. I'm going to be honest, I didn't actually find this movie that interesting. I was hooked in the beginning and I was on board and it lost me, I'd say, about halfway through. And by the end of it, I was like, I could care less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that it started strong and I was, I again was with you kind of for the premise right off the bat. Mm. I think there were just too many things in this that defied plausibility for me. Mm. And you kind of get it right off the the bat to be honest the fact that this is like first of all i didn't know that this was something that detectives had to do was work 911 calls it seems really clear to me that if i were a detective my entire profession is all about solving the case solving the case Mm -hmm. would it not be and like and i think that you almost have to be a bit obsessive to be really good at that job Mm. like would it not be really difficult to be a detective and be placed in a 911 circuit where you're just handing over that responsibility to essentially you but i imagine that it's that isn't typical. Like I got the impression that he was doing this because he's awaiting this. Oh, a hundred percent he is. Okay. But mm-hmm. that's the other thing that I found super implausible was it's like this is the night before his hearing right. and it's an all night shift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In what world does that does <laughs> the police station do that or yeah. the detective company? Well, <laughs> I mean, detective company. Yeah. <laughs> the detective company. Yeah. <laughs> LAPD. Like I'm what? I'm what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. I wouldn't believe that he was getting the shifts he wanted at that point. No, he but like who's going to give him the, the 12 hour shift before literally the biggest day of his life, right? Like he's about to literally go to a court hearing that determines whether he goes to prison or not. Mm-hmm. It just that one single thing. I was like, okay, well, well, or I, I'm surprised he's even working at all. Completely. Right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that kind of derailed me a little bit. And if that had been the only thing, it might have been fine. But I just mm-hmm. felt like it just continued. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, and th- so this is, as I said, based off of a Danish film. Have you seen that film, Sinclair? Yes. Okay. So 
Okay, well, in terms of storytelling, this is nearly identical. Oh, really? To the Danish film. Oh, okay. okay. There's a lot of criticism about this American version, and a lot of the criticism is simply, oh, see the original film. Mm. Right. It's better. I, I think that having an original film doesn't necessarily mean that a remake can't be good or it's not worth remaking. Totally. They are almost identical. There are some things in this American version that feel a little bit more Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the pace, the actual story, the plot, the character, uh, everything is essentially, even the dialogue is is the same. Interesting. The thing about the Danish film is that it's a little bit more understated yeah. where this American version feels a lot bigger more heavy fisted yeah more heavy fisted and almost sympathy baiting in a lot of ways uh yeah so i i would say in terms of oh one is better than the other those are the differences that i noticed Mm. the one thing i will say about the american version that i did not feel while watching the danish version is that i was enthralled with watching the main character yeah. In the Danish as version. M- in the Danish okay. version. And yeah, as fair. much as I was enthralled with watching Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Because it's interesting, you know? You can watch a movie where you aren't familiar with the actors and appreciate it for mm. its story and mm. for the emotions it creates. But there is something about watching a thriller with a movie star yeah. in it. Or any kind of one actor show. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, um, Cast Away with Tom Hanks. Right. Or Gravity with Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. Like, you need a star to anchor something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I think thematically, you just kind of touched upon the story is about redemption mm-hmm. and about if a man can find his personal redemption like through the act of saving someone else. And that this guy is a police detective about to face a court hearing for killing an 18-year-old almost to me makes this film sort of a commentary on police violence. Yeah. And <laughs> after like the racial protests of 2020, yeah. all those conversations around defunding the police and accountability for their systemic you know, racism and violence... There's no way to watch a story about an American police officer who mm-hmm. confesses to murdering an 18-year-old mm-hmm. who was probably black, let's just say it, without connecting this particular character story to that larger yeah. whole. Yes. So with the Danish film, it's the same. He abuses his power and mm-hmm. he kills someone mm-hmm. because he he can and he did and he made a really bad choice in that moment. But when you watch the Danish film, it, do- it doesn't carry the same weight exactly. as the American film does, especially since this was made during COVID mm-hmm. yeah. when all of that was going on. So there is that attached to the viewing of this film. It's, it's just the way it is. And both films deal with the idea of redemption. But I think that a lot of people will have a hard time wanting a character like this to be redeemed. Yeah. And the film does ask you the question, can somebody redeem themselves? Can society accept that? What does it take for someone to be forgiven, to find their own reckoning? Yeah. So that was what the biggest issue that I had in terms of the theme and the, the story was by the end of it, you know, he's kind of gone through this harrowing experience on multiple phone calls trying to save this woman, or so he thinks. And then that prompts him to decide to tell the truth about what actually happened with that incident. The film is alluding to like, feel bad for this guy or he has been, can he be redeemed now because he's deciding to tell the truth? And I was like, I don't give a fuck. 
you know, the the entire time he is being so arrogant and and does put people in danger because of that and then like narrowly escapes being a part of a second person's death and then decides, "Oh, I guess I should come clean." And it was not enough for me to care. There's definitely room for a smart film to probe and explore that, to dive into the guilt and the personal reckoning and all of that. That wasn't what this film was. There was so much other plot that led up to that, to that we, when we get to this final reveal, that that's, you know, what he what he's done and his guilt and his confession, mm-hmm. it's unearned. And that you mm-hmm. cast an actor like Jake Gyllenhaal, who has built 20 years of audience affection, right. mm-hmm. you know, towards him. You aren't, it's not like this guy is a hero. We know that, right? right? But we have spent an hour with this character, only this character, Mm -hmm. at that point that he confesses. So we are being asked to at least assess his redemption. Mm -hmm. And through the lens of what that means on a broader scale, it's asking us to reflect on police in general and their brutality, because that has been the conversation of the past two years, especially. And I think that in the context of this particular film, where we don't even know the victim's name, Mm -hmm. we don't know anything about the victim, it's too broad and it's asking, it's it's not actually diving into it enough to actually ask the question. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. To actually ask us to consider what that means. We're not seeing both sides. Yeah, the entire journey, I just wasn't really sure why I was put on it. Mm -hmm. Like, is it to show me that... Um, cops think cops that they're above the too. law and, and that they think they can get away with murder because I already knew that. Mm-hmm. You know, like it just didn't tell me anything I didn't feel like I already knew. And it, yeah, it just left me unsatisfied, mm-hmm. I guess. So, I mean, it could be considered that it was meant to be more of a thriller than to actually tackle right. that issue. So it worked, I think, more as a thriller than it did as a commentary on Yes, that. but mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying, is that if you're going to do that in this exact time, that's just too, that particular conversation mm. is just so zeitgeist. Yeah. It, it can't be left out of the mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. I guess, too, the, you know, his character was so unlikable. It's It's not even like we get this flip at the end of like oh you're the bad guy because he's kind of been the bad guy the whole time yeah well that's, that's the, the thing importance is, of casting jake though but he right. is likable i think that's what we're saying though is he's almost too likable jake is inherently <laughs> so likable the character isn't at all i know but that's but he that's, makes the character he makes the character mesmerizing least, to watch yes that's when you you can take an actor like jake or like a tom hanks or or whatever, right. and people who are beloved mm. and put who we love, we all mm. love Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah, yeah, of right, course. and put him in a role like this where the character itself has no real redeeming features, yeah. not even professionally. He's also a shit cop, yeah, <laughs> like just frankly, yeah. uh, which also goes back to my plausibility thing. If it's like at at what point does somebody come into the room and mm-hmm. be like, "Yo, dude, we're calling nine one one on you because you need to go to the hospital and mm-hmm. seek some help right now," yeah, you know, like, it, yeah. Well, also, we've had this conversation with Charlize Theron and Monster mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. where you end up feeling a lot of sympathy because Charlize is a movie star yeah. and you love watching her and she brings mm-hmm. that to the table. Mm-hmm. We had this conversation with Joker yeah. as well. What should we feel mm-hmm. for this character when we watch it? Also, just in terms of storytelling and unrelated to this thematic discussion, the plot twist bit at the yeah. end where suddenly Riley Keough's 
like Emily character on the voiceover was like, oh no, it was actually me who killed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the the baby or who tried to kill the baby or whatever. <sighs> why? Why? But that's, that's what so I mean. Lame. Like that was the twist, and I was like, that's it. <laughs> like it just it like, just didn't. Well, so one thing, and this is. Spoil, you know, spoiler. That's I don't right. know if anybody's going to be watching the Danish version of the guilty or not, but the the baby is dead in, in the oh. Danish one. Yeah, so that is one change that they did, and it kind of makes things make a little bit more sense mm. by the end. Wow, it also but, totally gives an even bigger redemption for Jake's character, a more intentionally clear one for his character because that baby is alive because he forced his right. partner to kick down the door, break yeah. the law, get into that house mm-hmm. and save the baby. Yeah. Yeah. So I found with this film, a lot of my enjoyment that I had with this film was watching it in a theater mm, yeah. and watching it on the big screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it actually was a really fun time mm-hmm. at TIFF. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. Watching him on the big screen, um, the audience like feeling the tension and everything just felt very big. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking out of the screening thinking that was a lot of fun. Mm. But I think that people are going to have a mediocre experience watching this on Netflix. Yeah. And I think that when people do watch this on Netflix, the holes in this film are going to be a lot more glaring. Yeah. Because your experience isn't as fun. I'm sorry. No, as yeah. mine was that too. No, 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 I think 100%. that's absolutely accurate. I think accurate. that you forgive a lot more when you're caught up mm-hmm. in with the audience yep. and at the festival yeah. and... Seeing it on a big screen. Seeing it yeah. there. I mean, um, if you would like a further elaboration of this discussion, listen to <laughs> right. last week's Patreon episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. But it, it does make the holes in the film a lot more noticeable mm-hmm. if you if you don't have that setting. Yeah. Well, why don't we jump into performance? Because mm-hmm. I do feel like that, I mean, there's really just, there's one major one mm-hmm. and then several voiceover performances. Mm-hmm. So, Jake. Yeah. I mean, he is what makes this movie enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was what I noticed right off the bat that I was commending the movie for was, you know, you're only watching him have all these conversations with with different people. And what I was so amazed by, not necessarily surprised because he is such a wonderful actor, but I could tell the specificity of every single relationship that was identified in these phone calls through his performance. It was it just seemed like such a feat to me to to have one person show all of these different relationships just in a conversation and just in the like expression on his face and the intonation in his voice um i thought he did such a wonderful job of that and he is just incredibly compelling and yeah i have no problem watching him for, for 90 minutes <laughs> mm-hmm. i think he did a really great job of actually presenting as dangerous mm. he's yeah. really really tightly wound and when he has these explosive kind of moments whether they're at a you know a yeah. cop co-worker or whatever on someone he's screaming at over the phone the outbursts actually work and they do kind of lead you to when he has his confession at the end mm-hmm. where you can see you can understand that this is a character who you could see doing that mm-hmm. right exploding in the moment and letting out loose all of his rage like he said because he could because right. he was so angry because mm-hmm. he wanted to punish that kid who he killed but like I thought it was a really 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 excellent performance yeah. mm-hmm. it's the only thing that I really liked about the movie if yeah. I'm honest but I did <laughs> really appreciate that mm-hmm. element of the film like yeah. jake was amazing yeah yeah this is definitely the jake show mm-hmm. for sure <laughs> and his performance combined with the close-ups 
you feel like you're you're seeing every thought that he's making and to have the camera so close and and be that intimate with the audience i just i think he is such a solid actor yeah he he can be like a loose cannon but you can tell that his acting is also very methodical mm-hmm. and thought through and yeah. he's just so solid yeah and watchable incredibly incredibly watchable you really do need a movie star to hold a film like this Mm -hmm. you just do Mm -hmm. it's just basically one actor for an hour and a half yeah and so you have to they have to be able to carry a lot they have to carry every single emotional beat of this movie yeah and And he does and also acting with voices yeah yeah on the phone yeah not acting with another actor directly in front of you and working Mm -hmm. off of their energy yeah i will say i i did really love riley keogh's voice in this i liked her Her, too voice performance i think she's great um the only thing i didn't like is that we don't actually get to see her like i really actually wanted to see her performance Mm -hmm. and not just hear it Mm -hmm. um okay so a couple technical notes on this film um as we have mentioned already it was shot during covid it was shot over only 11 days which is like very 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 quick it's completely crazy (laughs) for a feature film um and right before they started shooting antoine fuqua the director um had close contact with someone who tested positive Mm -hmm. and therefore he had to direct the film from a van (laughs) Yeah. Um, wow. He was not on set at all for the film. So he was in a van with monitors and he would just walkie talkie direction. Oh my God. This really is the Jake show. Well, mm. yeah, but also in a weird way, it was him kind of being in a similar yeah. environment as the character that Jake plays and as Jake. Right, that's actually kind of cool. It is, mm-hmm. yeah. It's an interesting story. The way that they did the the calls with people, they actually did have the actors on like Zoom calls, so they were acting with him in real time, mm-hmm. just on the walkie-talkie, I guess. But and then and Jake had a like iPad in the drawer with like the Zoom mm-hmm. faces on it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I imagine that was a very unique filmmaking experience for everybody oh yeah yeah it is actually the perfect film to do to make during covid that's true Uh, of any of the like covid films (laughs) yeah i think it i will say the covid films yeah (laughs) (laughs) this covid era film yeah i will say that something that i did find really successful about this movie and that's to antoine fukua's credit uh, I didn't even really notice that it was all in one space in one yeah. location. Like that did not bother me at all. I, I, I very quickly just got over that part. Mm. Yeah, there were a, enough interesting variety of shots and lengths of shots, close ups, wide shots, whatever, that made it kind of feel fresh yeah. and mm-hmm. dynamic. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really pretty successful. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Last word on the guilty? The last word on the guilty for me is that I think you can definitely watch this and appreciate it just as kind of a thriller and appreciate Mm -hmm. Jake's performance in it. I do think that when you start to dive deeper and think about what it really means, it actually is quite a disappointing film from my perspective. I think that there is a way to watch this film and just kind of enjoy it as a thriller and see it as like a very COVID era film. Mm -hmm. I think that Jake Gyllenhaal's performance was great. And I think that the first chunk of this movie is also pretty captivating. Well, I mean, yeah, last word for me. I just, all I wanted was Jake to flush the fucking toilet after he puked. (laughs) I was so distracted in the final scene by the puke in the toilet. Okay, 
Can I tell you what I was so distracted by was how that bathroom was the cleanest bathroom that anyone has ever seen in the entire world. It was really clean. There is no, there is no fucking police office headquarters in the world that has an absolute glistening, gleaming white, like perfectly sanitized bathroom like that. I was like, this is some bullshit. Well, I just, all I could think is like, Jake, you're crying in this stall and you're breathing in your own vomit air, like flush the toilet. Anyways. Watch it for the performance, not for the story. That's my last word. The same. If you can just watch this, have some popcorn, lie on your couch, put it on, let it be a thriller. Yeah. Watch Jake Gyllenhaal, then I don't think you'll be disappointed in that. For sure. Great. Cool. Lovely. This week, we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. And the theme of this episode is Seven Deadly Sins. Also known as Cardinal Sins or Capital Vices, these seven ultimate no-nos are a fundamental part of Christian teachings and have inspired or been referenced in pieces of popular culture, including films, innumerable times. You all know the Seven Deadly Sins, but just in case you need a reminder, they are Pride, Greed, Wrath, Envy, Lust. <laughs> Gluttony and sloth, or as David Attenborough says, sloth. <laughs> I can never Great. read that word without hearing him say, and the sloth on the tree. Uh, for this week's episode, we each chose a film that represents one of those sins. This is our week in entertainment. Helen, what did you pick? No, you go first. Okay, I'll go first. <laughs> For my film this week, I chose The Sin, Wrath, very specifically because there's a pretty successful film franchise that I'm kind of shocked I hadn't seen up until now, and it very much embodies the theme. So the movie I chose is the first of those films, and it's 2013's The Purge, Oh. written and directed by James DeMonaco and starring Ethan Hawke and Lena Headey. As a wealthy couple living in suburbia who are about to have the most horrifying night of their lives should they live to see the morning. See, this film takes place in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And America is, by this point, just so far gone down the rabbit hole of sin and immorality that the country elected new founding fathers and have instituted a radical new law called The Purge whereby on this one specific national holiday from 7 p.m. until 7 a.m. the next morning, all crimes are legal and all health services are off the clock. That's right. If your desire is to burn down a church or rob a convenience store or brutally torture your neighbors, as is the case in this film, anything goes. (laughs) This is your night to shine and purge yourself of all that nasty inner rage. Yeah, that's the concept. Obviously, the film takes place on the night of the purge. Have you both seen this movie? I saw this one. I did not see any of the other ones. And I only watched this because I love Ethan Hawke. Fair. Yeah. I was actually, I've always been really intrigued by these movies. I started wanting watching one of the sequels and I was like, no, I need to watch the original. And I didn't finish the original. Maybe it was too dark for me mm. at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I am intrigued by the premise and the concept of it. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear your your thoughts. Yeah, so the, the concept is, to me, uh, enough to merit a one-page essay. Okay. And not enough for a film. I actually despised this movie. Okay. Yeah. I have always despised 
despise the concept of this movie. Mm. It's mm. Awful. it's angering. It's angering. It's awful. It the my first impression like the opening s- sequence the, during the credits of this film. It's all very very realistic looking footage, like mm. as opposed to. Squid Game, which, yeah. you know, we're all watching and obsessed with, except Sinclair, who refuses to because it's part of the current popular culture. <laughs> she, she has to wait until it's no longer talked about so that she can be like, yeah, I'm watching it now when it's no longer cool, but that's fine. That's uh, so true. <laughs> Where is the lie? <laughs> but Squid Game is like outrageous violence, mm. like Kill Bill. This, the violence in this is like very kind of found footage security camp. Mm. So it, it reads really real mm. and. Mm-hmm. It's just people killing each other in a variety of ways. It's just really kind of disgusting and gross. And basically, like, okay, the film takes place in this night. And so Lena and Ethan Hawke have this house. And they've got their two kids, right? A teenage daughter and a younger boy. And they, he, Ethan Hawke's character sells the security systems to all of their neighbors and right. a bunch of people that kind of keep them safe during this lockdown. Yeah. So, okay, guys, it's about time to start the purge. And they lock down the house and there's all of this conversation about like, this is the night that saved our country. And the son, the young son is having some kind of moral quarrel with this. And Lena Headey says to him, just remember all the good the purge does. Okay. That's all that matters. Well, it's basically saying we're all, sh- we're all sh- shit people and if given the opportunity we would do all of this stuff like i would like to think that if this happened we'd all be like no i'm good right there definitely would be some people that would but it's like yeah exactly that it's 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 basically so cynical it's such a cynical take on humanity yeah um that i just can't get behind that i so i found the story to be so ludicrous in its Mm -hmm. concept and so entirely unbelievable you know, you could literally go out and on this one night, murder babies right. and put them in a big pile in the town square Ugh. and light them on fire. Yeah. And then what? At 7 a.m. the next morning, all those parents of those babies are going to be like, oh, congratulations. Yeah. You just purged. It's like society just goes on. As nor- I mean, Wake I- up and have our coffee. Oh, shit. Yeah. You got me. You got my babies. Yeah. I guess I have to wait till next year's purge to get my revenge. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a very lazy commentary on like right. class. Yeah. Right? On how the rich can be protected, except they're not even in this case. I just, I couldn't have hated it anymore than I did. <laughs> I actually loathed this movie. I think that's why I stopped watching it. I think I was like intrigued by it and then I started it and I was like, oh, this just makes me feel like this is the worst part of humanity I could ever imagine. Why would I want to watch that? Mm-hmm. And if maybe there was room to explore that kind, that very basic right. concept in a really good film. Well, it doesn't have any artistic value. Mm. None. So and, you can explore these concepts to a certain degree, but there has to be artistic value behind it. Mm. Yeah, and when the filmmaking itself is so lazy and so predictable as mm-hmm. this, like literally every single main character in this film nearly dies and is mm. saved at the very last instant by right. somebody, you know, killing the person who's just about to plunge their knife yeah. into them. Like every single one. Yeah. It's just so lazy and mm. rote. So yeah, so, you know... It's a no for me, honey. I don't know how on earth there were several of these films. Well, I that's guess what I'm that wondering. is worrisome. Like, who who is the audience for this? Like, who are the people that need to consume well, this Well, I mean, content? Hostel had a bunch of... Yeah, I yeah. Well. I mean, that's true. But this just seems like such a particular type of, of mm-hmm. depravity. <laughs> like, yeah, I just can't get behind it. It's not the film for me. That t- the, right. the truth is, I've never watched Hostel. I've never watched Saw. Mm. I don't know why I 
like thought that maybe I would go for the purge <laughs> or yeah. would enjoy it. I've mm-hmm. never enjoyed this particular type of mm-hmm. horror. So, but yeah. The ju- first Saw is really great though. Yeah, it is. See, I don't, I just assume that it's similar. No, we it's should wonderful. Watch it t- we should oh, watch really? It together it's actually Halloween. good? Well, yeah. Oh, it's is really that going to be for our Halloween? We well, should. Shall we include that in our Halloween Patreon special? I think we should. Yeah. Okay. I want to yeah. watch it with you. Because okay. it's not representative <laughs> of the other Okay, okay, yeah, good, cool. Well, then, sure, I will commit to that. And y'all will have to become Patreons to hear how much I hate it. Oh, my. I, don't, I think you're actually going to like it. You're going to be yelping so much. Oh, <laughs> There's going to be a, yeah. a lot of yelps happening. Yeah. Anyway, the only thing that I wish I could purge is my mind from after having seen this film. So, yes. what did you pick, Helen? Okay, I decided to focus on Pride or the Sin. And I went with the film Can You Ever Forgive Me? Mm. From 2018. I don't mm-hmm. know this, Melissa I don't McCarthy. think. Oh, this one. I never yeah. saw it. Yeah. Mm. So <laughs> I'll tell you the reason why I decided to do this film. Because I was thinking about doing Envy. And I was like, oh, Sinclair, I should finally watch All About Eve. And she was like, Helen, you did. And you did it for an Oscar special. I was like, no, I've never watched it. And she's like, yeah, you have. So I went back and I found the Oscar special from season two. Sure enough, that's, I did it. I watched it and I yeah. did a segment on it. I completely wow. forgot. Wow. But in listening. We have done 120 episodes or something. It's true. <laughs> um, but in listening to that episode, we talked about Melissa McCarthy's nomination for this. And I was mm-hmm. like, I have been wanting to watch that. And I, I was able to fit it in with the pride uh, sin. So. This came out in 2018. It was adapted from the book, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Memoirs of a Literary Forger by Lee Israel. The film stars Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant and was directed by Marielle Heller. This is the description courtesy of IMDb. When Lee Israel falls out of step with current tastes, she turns her art form to deception. You have not seen this. Correct. You have? I have seen You have. Okay. Um, Do you know anything about the story? I know nothing about the story. I only know, now that I remember, that she was Oscar nominated for it. Right. So this centers on a writer's pride and desperation getting the best of her, but also sort of ironically then being her kind of claim to fame and the thing that she's remembered for. So Lee Israel was a biographer. Um, She had achieved moderate success in the early 80s, but then she kind of shot herself in the foot when she attempted to write an unauthorized biography about Estee Lauder. Mm. Estee Lauder found out about this and tried to convince Lee Israel not to write the biography, which she didn't do. So then Estee Lauder was like, fine, I'm going to write myself an autobiography and I'm going to release it the same time you release the unauthorized biography. Mm. So Lee's version was a complete failure. And of this, she says, instead of taking a great deal of money from a woman as rich as Oprah, I published a bad, unimportant book, rushed out in months to beat Lauder's own memoir to market. So in this sense, it's kind of a first instance of her pride getting the best of her a little Mm -hmm. bit and wanting to write this Mm -hmm. biography and it failing. Um, So her career declined after that, and she was really struggling by the early 90s. Is this a real-life person? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is all true. Mm. She couldn't get an advance for the latest biography that she wanted to write. Her agent wouldn't give her the time of day. She was months behind on her rent. She couldn't pay the vet bills to care for her sick cat. She was also an alcoholic and just not a very likable person. And so she ends up forging letters from deceased famous writers and actors and then selling them to collectors. 
Oh. It's it's very interesting. And I didn't know what this was about. I remember... So she's like, this is like original fanfic? Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It starts because she has this letter, this note that Catherine Hepburn wrote to her because she had written a piece about her. And she decides to sell it because she's that's how low she is on money. She's like, I have to sell this like prized possession of mine. And then realizes, oh, I can get a lot of money for this. And... I can write like these writers mm-hmm. used to write. So she would study some of the letters that they that did exist from them and just start writing like them and forge their signatures and make it really authentic. And in doing this, she becomes, uh, she finds an accomplice in a man named Jack Hawk, and that's who Richard E. Grant plays, who helps her like sell the forgeries. She ends up getting caught by the FBI. <laughs> um, she pleads guilty and she is sentenced to six months house arrest and five years probation. But what I find so fascinating about this is that she takes a lot of pride in the fact that she was able to accomplish this yeah Mm -hmm. and her forgeries still existed and they were still sold people still believed that they were real Mm -hmm. and they got sold for far more money than she ever received for them Mm -hmm. she expressed pride in her criminal accomplishments especially her Mm -hmm. forgeries towards the end of her life and then she wrote this memoir about this experience and it has, you know, I don't think any of us would be really talking about her now if it wasn't for this instance. Right. And um, then she had a, an Oscar-nominated actress play yeah, her in a film. Yeah. yeah. So it is a kind of funny, like, interesting, ironic meta situation that happened. So I, I found this story just very intriguing. And Melissa McCarthy is really great in it, as is Richard E. Grant. Yeah. And they're in, it's such an interesting friendship. But I, I just watched it, and I, I was thinking to myself, like, this, I want more movies like this with these like such a unique story and these mm-hmm. an interesting pairing in these two actors and Melissa McCarthy in this character in this lead role that's not very likable or attractive or anything mm-hmm. like but it's such an interesting story but I found it really entertaining and fun mm-hmm. uh, for what the subject matter was so just a really I don't know interesting examination of the things that people do for pride and how at the yeah. end of the day it's still a really creative writing exercise it is. It's like, yeah. it's you know how what I mean you view success guys it's yeah how you view success yeah True. like if she had just published them as like imaginations of letters mm. you know i just feel like you're getting ideas right now. i i have, i'm like a hundred percent like i can do this edison's googling how to forge letters <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Audrey Hepburn's signature. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> so yes, that was Can You Ever Forgive Me from 2018. It is on Disney Plus and I recommend it. It's 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 a good watch. All right, Sinclair, what sin are you talking about today? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I chose lust. Mm. Nice. And oh boy. Okay, I watched oh, a film <laughs> called <Great>. Cat People. <gasps> okay. No. Sinclair, tell me it's not. No, it's called Cat People. <laughs> it's from 1982, and it's directed by Paul Schrader. Okay. Oh, great. It stars Natasha Kinski, Malcolm McDowell, oh. and John Hurd. Here is a brief synopsis. Are you looking it up? I am. He's looking it up. <laughs> yes, there it is. <laughs> Quick synopsis via IMDb. A young woman's sexual awakening brings horror when she discovers her urges transform her into a monstrous black leopard. What? Yes. You heard correctly. (laughs) Like, that's a glare. Yes. Okay. 
<laughs> Very <laughs> lusty. So Natasha Kinski plays Irina, and she's this beautiful, young, wide-eyed, fawn-like woman mm-hmm. who is reunited with her brother Paul, played by Malcolm McDowell. Um, and they have been separated, and she's been living in orphanages, and he's been he's had a troubled life, and they've been separate, and they're reunited. And right away when they're reunited, there's creepy vibes, and it's very, like, animalistic. Hmm. And there's a lot of, like, subtle things where you're like, something isn't right with these two. <laughs> Her inner Black Panther is just <laughs> raring to go. Well, okay, so <laughs> there's a black leopard that is on the loose and is killing prostitutes and yes and like paul is nowhere to be found it's pretty obvious that paul is this leopard a werecat a werecat yes edison a werecat what's a werecat that that's exactly it a (laughs) werecat I'm sorry, so but not half human, half cat. Well, like think about a werewolf, but yeah, a werecat. only you turn to a, a, cat, a giant a leopard, cat. apparently. Okay. Yes. Continue. So he's out. He's a leopard. He's killing <laughs> prostitutes in the city, and he's captured by the zoo, basically. <laughs> and John Hurd plays a zoologist, and he meets Irina, and. He's like, hey, come work at the zoo. And she's like, okay. <laughs> Where Paul is being kept as a leopard. But she doesn't know that. She, she doesn't know, but every time she sees mm. the leopard, she's like, what is this connection? But and is then, he always a leopard? So, good question, Edison. <laughs> it turns out that they are both from this like ancient tribe or their ancestry is these people who are werecats who whenever they are sexually aroused and they mate with a human they turn into a leopard forever or just excellent question <laughs> when they're a leopard the only way to become human again is to kill a human oh, oh. so in order to become paul again he is, has to kill so if he's trapped in a zoo in a cage, he can't. He's, oh, he's a leopard. And then he gets out, escapes, kills. He becomes Paul again. Yeah. Wow. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so Irina is experiencing these urges for John Hurd, who I have a hard time seeing as sexy because I only picture him as the dad from Home Alone. <laughs> Fair. But he's a, he's attractive in this. So she's having these urges for him. John Hurt. Sorry. Totally different actor. No. John Hurt. Yeah. She's having these feelings for him and this these animalistic qualities are coming out. She's becoming like more leopard like. Like she can jump up in a tree and she's kind of like the fly. Yeah, she's becoming more like bold and mm-hmm. sensual. And slinky. Yes. So then she finds out that she is actually from this tribe she's also of cat people. Where cats. She's mm. cat people. Now, Paul says to her the only way we can actually have sex, basically, is to have sex with each other. Paul, her brother. Yeah. Her cat so brother. Her cat brother. So there's, like, some incestuous stuff going on there. Well, yeah, I would expect nothing less than your film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So clear? <laughs> yeah. All the check marks here. Mm. So they actually have to mate with their own kind. Okay. Yes. So at the end of the day, I don't really know what this movie is saying 
about like female sexuality (laughs) and lust you know is it's basically a curse if you she's if she lusts after someone and wants to be with someone she turns into this leopard but on the other hand Irina ends up having a lot of like powerful qualities to her when she's becoming the leopard okay she's very bold and she's very provocative and that led me to looking up um because i've done this on the podcast before where every time there's the an symbolism animal, of the I, leopard yes, I look yes. up the symbolism. and so, so i looked up the symbolism of the leopard and it it is like strength boldness and it also represents a period of rebirth or radical change mm. which really does happen in the film it's a it's a, it's her rebirth you know it's another film that's about a woman's sexuality right. and coming of age wreaking havoc yeah. on the world god forbid you know <laughs> but this this is a remake of a film from 1942 hmm. Which I have not seen yet, but I want to. I ended up watching this one first. But I'd be really interested in seeing the 1942 version because obviously it's not going to be as gory as this one. Right. Mm-hmm. This one was really gory in really? parts. Yeah, really gory, very kinky, like violent in parts, but also really super cheesy. Sometimes 80s I think fantasy. maybe we give films too much credit in thinking that they're a about or trying to like you were like what is this film trying to say yeah, about, about women lust, yeah. like maybe it's just like some people got together and I were like what if yeah people fucked and then turned into leopards and then had to eat humans <laughs> to turn back into them oh that's such a cool idea but like, man how, oh, but how yeah. does it go from that to like a film you know, there's a yes. lot of work that goes into like a crazy idea that to then make it into a movie. Maybe. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, it's Paul Schrader and he is definitely an experience. You know, if anybody listening has seen the 1942 film and you have an opinion on the comparisons between the two, because we talked about remakes with the guilty uh-huh. and how those are very similar. True. I'm assuming that these two films not similar. <laughs> well, you're they, only they, one way to find out. Yeah, fact. they mm. they cannot be similar, especially that this is like 80s Paul Schrader. So no, something that you'll like, Helen. The song "Cat People" by David Bowie mm. that is become kind of associated with Inglorious Bastards. Right, is from this movie. Oh, so that okay. song like written for this film yes oh cool yeah that is cool. so that song plays throughout this film hmm. interesting mm-hmm. yeah cat people i mean it was lusty <laughs> yeah i guess so <laughs> All right, guys, there's only one way to end this very special first episode of season five. What is it, Sinclair? Tell us. It's by playing a fun little game that I like to call Guilty as Charged. Ooh, okay. Gasp. Okay, so I just made this game up. (laughs) (laughs) So the rules are as follows. I'm going to read you each a few crimes that have been committed by movie characters. Mm. And you have to tell me which movie character it is. I'll accept the actor's name if you can't remember exactly what the character name is right. and the movie they're in. Okay. Okay. Are you going to ask like me one and I can only answer and then Edison and he can only answer and then we'll keep exactly. score? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So. And if she gets it wrong, do I get to steal her, I her one so. for a point? I think I think that that might work. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so I've tried to make this relatively easy. We're all a bit rusty right now. You know, it's, 
we're a bit, bit rusty. It's the beginning of the season. You're you right. know, we got to get warmed up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So, Edison, you are first. Okay. Okay. I'm going to read it as the character. Not not with the character voice, but picture me as the character. Okay. <clears throat> I am guilty of being a narcissistic opportunist who will do whatever it takes to succeed in my career. I have Christian cor- Bale in American Psycho. I'm not done, but is that your guess? Are you forfeiting your question without no, hearing no, the rest sorry. of it? Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe wait until the question is done. I have coerced a teenage man who I have had sexual relations with to kill my husband, making it look like a robbery. Guilty as charged. Definitely not Christian Bale in America's Psycho. Yeah, you should. That should have been his answer. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh. Okay, Hermione, gear down. Um. <laughs> She's so ready. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, Hermione's wait, ready. Read, read the question again. Okay. I am guilty of being a narcissistic opportunist who will do whatever it takes to succeed in my career. I have coerced a teenage man who, I've, who oh, I, I have it. had sex. Okay. Is it to die for Nicole Kidman? It is. Yes. I knew it. I knew it before you. <laughs> you did know it Suzanne before. Suzanne Stone in To Die For. Guilty yes. as charged. Suzanne Stone. Very mm-hmm. good. We love an alliterative mm-hmm. hero, villain. Okay. Helen, are you ready? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I am guilty of creating an army of middle class white male anarchists looking to escape the mundane humdrum of their unsatisfying day jobs. I will blow up your office and celebrate by peeing in your soup. Guilty as charged. Um, you still have time, Helen. He's distracting me. <laughs> oh my God. Edison is ready. Okay, say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Ah. <laughs> I am guilty of creating an army of middle-class white male anarchists looking to escape the mundane humdrum of their unsatisfying day jobs. I will blow up your office building and celebrate by peeing in your soup. Guilty as charged. Peeing in your soup? Have I seen this movie? Yes. Yeah. Um, is it... It's not... Heath Ledger's Joker. No. Is it... It's not office space. <laughs> what? Is that your guess? Well, I guess, yeah, that's my guess. I don't know. The joke, you're guessing Dark Knight. Yeah. That is incorrect. Edison, would you like to steal? I'm going to steal the point. It is Edward Norton slash Brad Pitt in Fight Club. Correct, Edison. It's been a really long time since I've seen that movie. Correct. (laughs) Fuck. Okay. Edison leads to none. Okay. I am guilty of lying, cheating, stealing, and blackmailing. All in a day's work, under the impression I am there to serve and protect. I have gotten in deep with some Russians and would sell out my partner in a heartbeat to save my own skin. Guilty as charged. Denzel and Training Day. Correct. That was too easy because we already <laughs> talked about it and you knew that we would be talking about it on this episode. Oh. You didn't know it, Helen. I actually didn't. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay, I mean, Edison has won at this point, but we're going to give you... We're going to give you your question. At least an um, opportunity for redemption. If, yeah. if Jake Gyllenhaal's character <laughs> could get one after killing an 18-year-old. Yeah. Okay. okay. Fine. <clears throat> I am guilty 
of stealing a briefcase of money from a crime scene and pissing off a serial killer who kills without remorse by using a game of chance. I have put my wife in danger and am on the run, leaving disaster and devastation wherever I go. Guilty as charged. Yeah. Okay, a briefcase of money. I can just, like, imagine people listening to the episode knowing what it is and, like, screaming at their phone. Um, read it one more time? Yeah, read it again. Okay. I am guilty of stealing a briefcase of money from a crime scene and pissing off a serial killer who kills without remorse by using a game of chance. I have put my wife in danger and I'm on the run leaving disaster and devastation wherever I go. Um, Quentin, right? It's a Quentin movie. Um, 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 with Rosanna Arquette, right? <laughs> Helen is speaking with <laughs> her you, hand and her mouth. Are you guessing Pulp Fiction? No, not Pulp Fiction. No. Except. <laughs> oh, is it? I'm no. not saying, I'm not saying anything. No, it's not Pulp Fiction. No, the one, um, why can't I think of it right now? This is make. this is true, really Are you just thinking true romance? True romance, that's what I'm thinking. That is incorrect. Oh, fuck me. What is it? Edison. I don't know. It's No Country for Old Men. Oh. Oh, it's so long. I haven't seen these movies in so long. <laughs> you said that was supposed to be easy. Okay. Liar. Well, Edison has like three out of four. I got, <laughs> but I got the first one. I did get the first one before him. You did, Helen. You there did. There should have been buzzers. <laughs> In your game, you okay. could, we could have buzzers. Okay. I have one bonus question okay. for you. Okay. Can Double we... points. Double point. Winner all take all. Winner take all. Winner take all. Okay. Are you risk? Are you pl- really doing yeah, that? Yeah, and we'll ha- whoever says the answer first wins. Okay, okay, okay. Ooh, Edison, uh, this is risky. It is. I'm, it's. I'm. I'm living on the edge. <laughs> wow. Okay. If you lose this, this is your own fault. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> I'm embodying the sin of pride. Here we go. I am guilty of stealing and losing my dad's prize baseball, all to impress my new new friends. I trespass a neighbor's yard Ooh, and I uh, vomit. The from- yes. I was about to say that. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but you didn't say the character's name or the actor. <laughs> Bonus points for saying the character name. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> Scotty Smalls. Uh, okay. Another alliteration. Yay. Wow, that was like I'm so embarrassed. Okay, well, I mean that was a flawless victory. From Edison. Yeah, I was. Let's be honest. Um, that was really fun, Sinclair. Yay, you. new games. Okay, so next week we have to look forward to Helen actually coming up with a game. So you're going to have your turn to make our lives miserable. Make your life miserable. You should make Edison's life miserable. I didn't. I yeah, didn't. actually, you're right. Both of you. <laughs> <laughs> we, like, know, we know that Sinclair is going to win the trivia. Yeah. <laughs> I merely asked the questions. Hmm. Okay. And listeners, if you did you think that was fair? Did you think those questions were fair? Email us. Let us know. Yeah, also, let us know. email us some game suggestions. Mm, that's mm-hmm. If we pick yours, we'll say your name. Yeah. yeah. Say your name. <laughs> that's it. Say your name. <laughs> <laughs> like, we basically take your creative idea and then just say your name. Yeah. So, we'll right. give you credit. <laughs> 
Well, this has been the first episode of season five of Talk Move It To Me. I can't believe we're on our fifth season. Wow. I know. I can't believe we're still <laughs> friends <laughs> after all the fights we've had over berries. It's true. Um, if you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, become a Patreon member, patreon.com slash talkmovietome. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next week. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. <laughs> and I'm Medicine. Bye. <laughs>